All right, so if you have a Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 6. We're in our series, The Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be looking at prayer this morning, the Lord's Prayer. We started chapter 6 last week, and we've been talking about, this is the part where Jesus stops, and he says, listen, you can do all these religious things, but do them for the wrong reasons and be wrong. And that's what he's talking about. Last week, this week, and next week, he gives three examples of the most commonly uh, known sort of religious behavior. Uh, Giving to the poor, that was last week. This morning is prayer, and next week is fasting, or really like discipline, denying yourself, but specifically fasting um, for the sake of being righteous, being holy, right? He says you can do all these things that everybody, like when they see people doing, they go, that's a religious person, that's a person who loves God, of course, that's why they're doing that. Why else would anyone do that? And he says, but if you do them for the wrong reasons, without the right motives, then you will receive a reward, people will like you, but you won't get anything beyond that. You won't get the much better reward that comes from doing these things for the right reasons. So this morning, we're looking at what he has to say about that regarding prayer. And we're gonna read the first couple of verses and then stop there for a second because he kind of talks about prayer in a general sense before he gets to the Lord's Prayer. So Matthew 6, 5 through 8 says this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask them. Stop right there for a second. So Jesus is talking to um, his disciples who um, are Jewish, and he's talking to them about the Jew- like kind of this Jewish world in which they've grown up in, okay, going to the synagogue, and what prayer uh, looks like. And he's telling them, don't be like the hypocrites, which we also talked about last week. A hypocrite is like an actor, a person who puts on a mask, and they're just pretending, they're just kind of playing a part, which is fine if you're an actor, not good if you're a religious person. And so when he talks about prayer, there's a reason that he says these specific things. It's because at the time, they were in a situation in which uh, people were praying a lot a very specific way. And it wasn't apparently a way that Jesus found very impressive. Okay, there were a couple of problems, and I want to kind of look at them for a second because that way we understand what he's talking about. The problems at that time when it came to prayer were this. Number one, prayer was too formal, okay? People had pre-written out, memorized prayers, and that was, for the most part, how they would pray. A lot of people would pray with uh, memorizing prayers, even prayers like the Shema, um, love the Lord your God with our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors yourself, like in the Old Testament, that's like a really important prayer. People would memorize it. They would say it again and again and again. And it was very formal, meaning it wasn't personal, okay? People prayed formally, and that was a problem. They were too formal prayers. Prayer was also too scheduled. You did it at certain times, and that was, for the most part, it, okay? You maybe know what this is like. If you only pray at bedtime, if you only pray before you eat a meal, you're like, okay, we'll pray together at dinner, and then I'll pray at lunch, maybe if I'm eating lunch with a Christian or something. But there's a formal, specific, scheduled time to when they would pray, and they wouldn't pray any other time. Circumstances of life are not leading you to pray. You just pray, because that's the time of day when you pray, and it's this kind of rote thing, okay? Prayer was too public, 
People would quite literally stand on street corners and the way that you prayed at this time was commonly you would lift up both your arms and you would just, you would just lift up your head to God and you would pray like that, okay, with your eyes closed. Uh, you can close your eyes, you know, so you're pretty much alone, right? But you're on a street corner. Is there any more public place that you could be than on a street corner doing something? But this was a common way people prayed or they were praying in the synagogue in a very public place so that people, all their religious friends could see them praying. They could see them saying these spiritual things. So prayer was way too public um, from what Jesus is talking about. Prayers were too long. Okay, so people would use prayer as an opportunity to just say the longest, most eloquent, beautiful sounding, complicated theological prayers. And you hear them and you go, wow, right? And you go, well, I'm not going to pray right? Like that's what people would think. They'd go, well, I'm not, I mean that, you know, you, we, you guys know what that probably feels like, right? You go like, yeah, I can't put three words together praying, especially in front of other people. That person, they can go ahead and have the gift of prayer, hope they enjoy it because I'm not going to pray next to them because of how long and impressive and, and, and intellectual and deep spiritually that it was. These were the kinds of prayers that people were saying at the time. He's, Jesus calls it kind of babbling on, right? Prayer was also too religious, okay? That means that it only happened around other religious people, okay? It only happened in church and around other Jews and other Jewish people, right? You didn't pray when it was just you when you were around non-believers for the most part, okay? These are all problems at the time that Jesus is looking at and he's saying, prayer is a mess. So his message to his disciples for the most part is this, let's just tone it down. That's basically what he's saying to them. He's like, let's just tone it down, okay? Let's stop making it so fancy. Let's stop being so loud. Let's stop being so scheduled. And let's stop feeling like we have to memorize these impressive prayers just to impress each other. Because guess what? Prayer is between you and God. Prayer is between you and God. It's not actually between you and other people, right? So he talks to them about this and he says, uh, that you should go into a private room, into a private place, should lock the door and you should pray. Now, why is he saying that? It's an extreme thing to say. Just like last week, he said, if you're gonna give to the poor, give so that your left hand is doing what your right hand's doing. That's not possible to do that, right? Just like cutting off your hand is not possible if you're, I mean, it is possible, but he's like, you're not actually expecting that everyone's gonna go do it, right? But it's an extreme thing that he's saying. So he's saying, go in the secret, lock the door, don't let anyone know. Don't let anyone know. If you prayed and no one ever knew that you were praying, if people looked at you and they thought that person never prays, but you actually always prayed, Jesus is kind of saying, that's the way that you should be thinking, right? There was actually an inner room in people's house. It was a pantry. The only inner room in your house where you could kind of lock the door and you could get away completely was the equivalent of what we have as like a storeroom that was in their house. And that's where he would tell people to go. That's what the New Testament refers to when it says, go into a room and lock the door. That's what it usually means. So Jesus is telling his disciples, prayer is this, okay? It's about you and it's about God. And that's where we need to start. So he tells them how to pray. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me stop right there because this is the first half of the Lord's prayer. And this prayer is all about God, okay? It starts to God and about God because prayer is first and foremost between us and God. 
Now, something you'll notice about the Lord's Prayer is that it's a disciple's prayer, which means it's really intended to be prayed by a believer, by a person who's following Jesus, because a lot of the things that he tells them to say, it would not make sense to say this if you weren't a follower of Jesus. Um, You'd be like making statements that you simply don't believe, that you're simply not ready to back up with the way that you live your life, right? You wouldn't be seriously making these statements. So he's telling them, say, pray this way. Now, he's not telling them because he specifically speaks against memorizing prayers and saying them again and again. The, the Lord's Prayer is the most memorized prayer in the world. It is, it, is, it, is, uh, it is the most memorized prayer definitely in Christianity, in Western Christianity, right? Um, it, it, is, it is so familiar to us that many of us, most of us probably could say it even though we have not at some point in our life stopped and tried to memorize the Lord's Prayer. It's just so familiar to us. It's like uh, one author said, it's like, it's like if you go to a friend's house, and they live next to the train tracks and a train goes by and you're like, what was that? Your whole house almost fell over. And they're like, what, what are you talking about? Right? And you, the, no, uh, oh yeah, that's the train. I don't even hear it anymore. I tune it out, right? That's what the Lord's prayer is to most people nowadays, really. It's this incredibly familiar thing that even though it's really a big deal, it's kind of totally tuned out for many of us, okay? And so he's saying to his disciples, here's how I want you to pray, and it is all about your Father in heaven. Everything is about God. He starts with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven. This is what we mean when we say you pray in Jesus' name. Um, we're actually able to say our Father in heaven because that's how Jesus would pray, okay? Because of the relationship he has with God, we, can't, we couldn't say that. You couldn't say that if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you have not been forgiven of your sins because of what Jesus did and he hasn't taken your place, okay? So we can say our Father in heaven, which is the most intimate way that you can refer to God, the very God who created all of reality and all of us and everything in this entire universe You get to call him your dad. You get to say, our father in heaven. This is how Jesus begins the prayer. This is is a relationship with a close person. Imagine if you had a really close relationship with someone or you were trying to maintain a close relationship with someone, but you can never talk to them, just you and that person. You always had to talk to them around around other people. The only examples I can think of of that were like people visiting other people in jail. When you have to sit down with that phone, you know, and, uh, well, not you if you haven't, I haven't, but they have to sit down with that phone, and they, uh, and, they, and they have to talk on the phone. Maybe someone's listening or whatever, watching them the whole time, right? That's not a great relationship, but you see even scenes like that maybe in movies and stuff, and you think, that's so awful that that's the only way that those two people can talk, right? He says, it's not like that for you. You can talk to him, right? Um, we, Ellie and I, when we have people come stay at our house, um, like spend the night at our house, stay for a couple days, family or friends or whatever, and they'll, maybe somebody comes, some people come and stay for a few days, right? And we love it when people come and stay, and so we spend like the whole time with them, and then what we realize is, well, so last time over Thanksgiving, Ellie's family came to stay. A ton of people came to stay, right? And so uh, the first day comes, goes, we go to bed, wake up the next morning, we're hanging out with her sister, and her sister goes, what'd you guys talk about last night? And we're like, what? And she's like, you know, like when you guys went to bed, what'd you talk about last night? I want to know. Was it about, did you talk about us? What'd you talk about? And we're like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, me and Doug, we talked for a while. And I was like, oh, you guys do that too? And we realized like when people come over to our house, and I just wasn't going to tell her what we really talked about, if you know what I mean, right? <laughs> and, and so when people come over to our house, what I realized is like, we're so used to being able to just talk to each other very openly throughout our day that when there's lots of other people around, we're hanging out with them. And then we get to the end of the day, even if there's nothing really big to talk about, it's like you end up talking because that's what it is to have a relationship with someone is you're just like, I, we, we talk about things. 
right, that are kind of important or stuff I'm not going to say or maybe around everybody, you know? You know, if you know what I'm saying, right? And she didn't tell us either what they talked about, though. I kind of noticed that afterwards. She got all the info out of us. She didn't tell us anything. He says, our Father in heaven, meaning, listen, we talk to him like we talk to a parent, like we talk to a family member, like we talk to somebody who's incredibly close with us. But the next thing that he says, the very next thing, is he says, hallowed be your name. Because these two phrases must always go together. Okay, you cannot have one without the other. You cannot say God is our daddy without saying God is holy also. And you can't say God is so holy up there, I can't even conceive of it without saying, but he's also our father. Right? Because our very calling him father is essentially, feels like it's bringing him down to our level, which immediately feels like it makes him less God in some way. At least that's how many of us feel. One of the things that you see throughout this prayer is that you can't really pray the way Jesus talks about without the Bible. Okay, you can't pray this way without reading sometimes the Bible, knowing what the Bible says about God. The Bible is basically ammunition for prayer. Okay, it sets the stage for prayer. The Bible gives us the language even to know how to use and what, what we're talking about with God, okay? When we say our Father in heaven, sometimes that's hard for people because it's like, well, he's not talking back to me when I'm talking to him, right? So how do I know what he's like? How do I know who he is, right? Well, the Bible tells us so much about who God is and the way that he is, right, in such great detail. And so that tells us so much about God. One author says this about, about, about having a relationship. Eugene Peterson says this on prayer. He says, in the Bible, we discover a real and complex God. If you have a personal relationship with any real person, you will regularly be confused and infuriated by him or her. So too, you will be regularly confounded by the God you meet in the scriptures, as well as amazed and comforted, right? If we're gonna have a real relationship with God, if we're really gonna talk with him, there are gonna be times that we're pretty upset. There are gonna be times that we're very confused, but there are gonna be times that we're very amazed and that we're very blown away by who God is and what he says. And so knowing him, our father, and knowing him means in part being able to open up the Bible, read it, and say, oh, that's the God that I'm talking to. That's the God that I'm talking about. Without that, it can just feel very one-sided. It's hard to do this. It's one of the reasons why our prayers are often about us way more than they're about God, because we're like, I know all about me. I got all, I got all that information. I'll talk about that all day, but I don't have very much information to go off of with God. So he says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come is the prayer. God, I want the authority of the kingdom of God here. I mean, I want you to rule here. I want you to be in charge. I want you to be in charge of, of people. I want you to be in charge of institutions and structures. I want you to be in charge of me. And first and foremost, God, I want your kingdom to come here in me. That's something, God, that I want. Say, I want the reign of God in my life. I want him to have authority over me. I want to see the freedom that comes from God's authority even for other people. I want them to be able to experience that as well. And so we pray, God, I want your kingdom to come here on this earth. Now, to approach God with a hope that he will simply bring our kingdom is pretty misguided, right? It's pretty off base according to what Jesus is saying. The prayer is not my kingdom come, the prayer is your kingdom come, which is often a very difficult thing for us to pray. God's word paints for us a picture of what his kingdom looks like, what the, the rule of God, the reign of God looks like, what the authority of God looks like. So the more we see it, the more we can pray that that would be true of our life more and more. 
The other reason why we need God's word to give us language in order to even be able to talk. If you know anything about children starting to speak, you know that in order to teach a child to talk, you have to surround them with language, right? Anybody who knows anything about people learning how to talk will tell you, the more you talk around kids, the more you read around kids, the more that you, um, the more that you give them words to work with, they'll be able to talk and communicate sooner and better for the most part. And any word that a child speaks in communication to us is not spoken for the first time, it's repeated. It's a word that's repeated back to us that they heard from someone else. This is how language starts for young people. This is how someone who doesn't know how to do something learns how to do it. And this is what God's word does for us in prayer. It gives us all of that. And then we can begin to know the words to say and the things to talk about and how to act and how to interact with God. And it's not just a matter of God's kingdom coming to this earth like I want all the rules, which is what we typically think of with a kingdom. I want rules, I want the yeses and the noes and the rights and the wrong to come on this earth in my life. Okay, sure, that sounds like a whole lot of fun, right? But that's not just what God's word tells us his kingdom is. His kingdom is like the reality of who he is in our life. We've been reading through John, if you've been kind of reading through the bookmark with us in the church, and in John, I, I love John because Jesus gives these I am statements, many of them, over and over again. I am the vine and the branches. I am the light. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd, right? I am, I am the bread of life. Jesus says these things about himself, telling us who God is so that we can know that the kingdom of God being real in our lives and coming true means that we have a shepherd and that we have bread of life and we have a vine that gives us life, that we have all of these things. We have them when the kingdom of God is happening in our life. And so we pray for that. Without it, we only know how to talk, like I said, about ourselves. Another, another um, quote from Eugene Peterson, I don't have it up on the screen, but he says, the prayers of the writers of the Bible were not prayed by people trying to understand themselves. They are not the record of people searching for the meaning of life. They were prayed by people who understood that God, not their feelings, was the center. Human experiences might provoke the prayers, but they do not condition them. What he's saying here is when we read about in the Bible, we read about people talking to God and interacting with God, these aren't people just on a journey of self-discovery. But for many of us, that's the only place we know to begin with because all we have to work with is what's going on in here, right? He goes on and he says, your will be done. Okay, here's, here's, the, here's the thing about your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about this for a second. Who on earth could you say that to? What person do you know out of all the people you've ever met in your life that you could simply say that to, your will be done in my life. I mean, most, most can't say that about their spouse even. Even if you have a great marriage, you're like, I don't know that I could say your will be done in my life. I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. I mean, to say your will be done is one of the hardest things that you could ever have to say, and it would require so much trust and confidence in the person you're saying it to. That is it any, any mystery that so many of us say these words without meaning them? Because they're here, right? We say, God, your will be done, but it's like, wait, 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 I want my will to be done. I, I'm not sure if I want God's will to be done in this situation. To say your will be done is to say, I want to want what you want, God. And if I don't, I want you to do it anyway. 
I want your will to be done because I trust you. I said before that, that, that well, we, well, it goes on to say this. It goes on to say, to talk about our daily bread, right? To pray for our daily bread. Because eventually what he does is he goes from talking about God to talking about us. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He then goes into the prayers that we're familiar with. Give us our daily bread. Give me what I need. But the prayer is daily bread. And how, what do we think, what, what would that conjure up, the idea of da- daily bread in Scripture? Is that the Israelites in the Old Testament as they're wandering in the wilderness, pray to God for food, pray to God for water, and he gives them manna. And so frustrating manna, because it comes every day when you need it. But there's a rule with manna, and it's this. You can't store it up and save it up overnight, because it'll go go bad and be really nasty, so you just got to trust that the next morning you're going to go out there, there's going to be manna. And every morning there was manna. And anytime someone tried to save it up, it got nasty. But there was always more. Daily bread, okay? So to trust God, his will in your life, is to say, I trust that like you're going to provide what I need. I trust you, which is one of the hardest things for us to do. In fact, maturity, being a mature Christian, is simply trust in God. It is the ability to trust him more. That's really what measures maturity of a disciple or any follower of Jesus or any follower of God that we read about in the Bible, is someone that says, okay, God, I trust you. Why does he put the garden, the tree in the middle of the garden? Come on, God, like put it off in the corner and put it in a dark spot where nobody sees it, right? Maybe they'll wander over there sometimes and think about it, but not often. Why do you put it next to the tree that they're supposed to eat from? Why would you do that? Because they must decide if they trust God. Their, their choice is the choice to trust God. And so the prayer, your will be done, which is such a hard prayer to pray, only can really happen when we say, God, I trust you. And so we pray it, wanting to be able to trust God. You, can't, you don't have to have perfect trust, I think, in order to pray this. Otherwise, he would have told them something about that. And we pray for our daily bread. That we don't have to store up everything we have. That no matter what our bank account looks like, or no matter what our pantry looks like, or no matter what our house looks like, or no matter what our health looks like, or no matter what our age is or anything, our opportunities look like, or the country we live in, that we trust that God Uh, that God will provide for us if we ask him. He says, forgive us our debts. And there's a reason for this, because real prayer must involve repentance. Now, what's interesting is it doesn't start with repentance, which those who really are into repentance, that's like number one in the prayer. You can't talk to God until you've repented. You gotta cover all the bases and get rid of all the bad stuff and you can only come and talk with him when you're right with him perfectly. I used to do this for years. I just had journals full of like confessions and things. I felt like I had to get everything out before I could ever really talk to God and, then, and now God's gonna listen to me. Now here we are because I'm the new me or I'm the better version of me than I was yesterday and I'm really not gonna blow it this time. This is this far into the Lord's Prayer because even repentance can become a thing about us, right? It can become a self-absorbed way for us to pray and prayer just becomes sort of trying to get away from the guilt that we feel. And it's here, we have to repent. We have to repent of our sin and ask him to forgive us and be reminded that he forgives us and so we then forgive other people. And he prays about temptation. Not just that we don't experience temptation, because we all do, but that we're not, this phrase being led into temptation is used in the Bible when you're being given over to temptation. Like if, you know, you've been thrown in the fire and there's no hope that you can escape from it. 
Lord, lead me not into a situation or a place in my life where I will have no choice but to give in to temptation, where I will already have gone too far. The last thing he says is he goes back to the idea of repentance and forgiveness. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He goes back to this because Jesus often talks to religious people about forgiving other people. They were apparently not very forgiving. One of the hardest things for me to do is to forgive my children. And it's not because I don't like forgiving them. It's because I feel like it's my job to teach them what's right and wrong. And so I go, if I just forget about what happened and I look east, as far as the east is from the west and we never talk about it again and I say, no, truly it's gone in the past, then how are they gonna learn, right? How are they gonna learn when they did something really wrong? How are they gonna learn how much damage that really caused? How are they gonna learn that some things just never go away maybe or whatever? The good news about it is that we're not parenting everybody else in this world. So it doesn't matter. We can forgive them. We can forgive them and let it go because we're not, God does not call us to be the ones that force everyone to learn every lesson and be reminded of everything that they've done. And that if we have any hope of being forgiven by our Father in heaven, then we will understand that attitude of forgiveness for other people. The most common, the most important thing that we see in the Lord's Prayer is this. It's one word and the word is priorities. The Lord's Prayer is a reminder to us. Jesus' example of how to pray is a reminder to us of what prayer truly is, which is us talking with God about God and about his kingdom. And yes, asking for him to provide for us, but still at the same time to give us our daily bread, but still, how many of us when we're honest go, there's like one seventh of that prayer that I pray. Give me my daily bread, give me my daily bread. That we come to God when we need something, that we come to God when things are not going well, and when we do come to him, we say, my will be done, my will be done. This prayer is a reminder to us of how much prayer is about God and his kingdom, and yet, that is the truly good way to pray. So as we spend time this morning in worship, we're gonna worship some more. We're gonna have an opportunity for you to just pray as you reflect and as you worship. Um, my, my hope, my prayer is that, is that we would be able to spend some time focusing on who God is and what God has done and how good his will is and how good his kingdom is and how much, even if our life is a mess and we wanna ask just for the things to help us, that we recognize that even when our life is a total mess, especially when our life is a total mess, what do we need more than anything? We need his kingdom to come. We need his will to be done in our life. Right? Even though that's a hard thing for us to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Because we can say to you, your will be done and trust you that that is a good thing. Father, for many of us, the struggle is just not ever praying. And I pray that we would be reminded from this, these words of Jesus, that um, the prayer is just a conversation with you that it is just us talking with you, getting to know you, seeking your kingdom, bringing our, our, our life and our hearts, our worries, our fears, everything to you. And for those who do pray, but, but really struggle to make it be about something other than just all the stuff happening in our lives at any given point, would you help us to focus on that much more glorious thing, which is you, Lord? Your glory so far outweighs ours, Lord, that all we have to do is get a glimpse of it, and it changes us, Lord. I pray that in this time that you would help us to reflect on these things, on who you are, on how fortunate we are to be able to talk with you whenever we want, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you acknowledging that um, we owe you nothing but praise, Lord, uh, for, for what you've done for us and for the fact that you have come up with a way for us to be your children, for us to be in the kind of relationship with you where we can actually talk with you, Lord. So our prayer is that as we... Um, is that as we talk with you, as we pray to you, as we just open up and share our lives with you, Lord, um, that we would do it um, in a very real way, but in a way that, that, that brings us to a place of seeing how much bigger you and your kingdom are than everything else, Lord. I pray that that would shape our thinking, it would influence the way we live, and it would ultimately influence the way that we pray, Father. It's in your name that we pray, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great week.